0: Hello everyone, my name is Anthony-George-Patrice, and I'm here to present the Org podcast. Guided by the reviews I've been providing for LessonOrg.net website, I thought it would be a much better idea to provide the content in a more accessible way for everyone. Not everyone has time to read, not everyone has time to concentrate on a website to read words about music. So I have adapted the review system to make it more accessible to our busy lifestyles. Whether people are commuting to work, having a walk in the park, cleaning their flat, or simply just having some chill time at home, I figured podcasting would be a good way for them to receive the content. So here, I would like to welcome you to the first episode of the Lesson Org podcast. And today, I have invited two of the most amazing people I've been able to meet last summer. Two people whose positive energy and warmth transcend the conception we can have of a talented artist. Two brothers whose passion for electronic music is genuinely tied to a passion for hardware synths. You may have heard their music at Sunwaves in last September, or at Club de Visionnaire. Or you may have heard one of their releases on Sushi Tech, Vadebecom, or their own label, Obsolete Component. Please welcome my dear friends, Matt and Mark Tibido.
1: Hi. Hello.
0: How are you guys doing?
1: We're good. It's a snowy uh, winter day here in Toronto, oh, and and um, we just actually finished a little bit of work in the studio um, on some separate projects. Yeah, amazing. So, yeah, we had a good. I had a good um, couple of days of programming some new sounds and making some new ideas, trying to get a few things done.
0: Sweet. Sweet. Have you guys had some time off for that, or were you were you working in between?
1: Uh, it's, a, it's a weekend, so we have some time off. Um, I usually have a pretty short work week, so it allows me a little bit of flexibility to get into the studio and do some programming. It's quite the opposite for me. I work. I mean, I don't work on the weekend, but I'm working five-day week, so I'm trying to fit in all the music stuff uh, in between that, so... The weekends end up being fairly busy with getting ideas done.
0: Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. You're kind of playing Tetris with the with the schedule all the time. Like going, like okay, I'm working here, I'm working there. I need to put three hours of music there. I need to put six hours of sleep in between, and then a little yep. bit of exercise to like wear it off.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: I know what you mean. Cool. Um, yeah. So I. Recently watched, again, a video that you did for um, Creative Space. You were talking about your music and you said you wanted to um, keep it experimental. So what's, um, what, what do you mean by keeping it experimental? What's your process to keep things experimental? Do you, have, um, do you just come into the studio and create a new patch every time you're starting a new track? Or do you use things that you have created in the past? Um, do you have like a go-to way to, to, to start new music?
1: well i mean i think that now we really try to um try new things um i mean yeah like there are some patches that we have that are saved but it, it's often i don't know i like to create something new um i i feel like we have so many choices now with all these different sequencers and different um synthesizers so it's You know, sometimes it's good to just sit in front of a sequencer and not even look at a computer and come up with a basic idea and then um, yeah, and load up, you know, some of the drum sounds that we had made or like some samples in the emulator that I had made or um, uh, I guess it just it depends on the project. I mean, we really try to keep things conceptual. Maybe that's how we meant by um, being experimental.
0: Conceptual as in like um, specific to um, a moment, an idea, a project that you have in mind and develop that. And then once that is developed, you go to another idea, another project, another um, concept.
1: Yeah, for instance, the last um, batch of tracks that Matt and I had just made together, we we really limited ourselves to using only the sequential and Oberheim synthesizers. And so, you know, like you approach have to approach making the tracks differently because they're, you know, very limited. The Oberheim sense are all analog. So there's no digital or sampling or anything there. So you really have to push yourself in a different way. Uh, you know, uh, with the sequential sense as well, like, I mean, there's more flexibility, but like you start by um, approaching it differently even. Um, but by using like maybe something with a sequencer like the multi-track or the um, you know Creating like a, like a vector sequence on the Prophet VS like making a sample and an arpeggio in Prophet 2000 So it's kind of like I don't know like that project was very specific So we started with that way of approaching our sound programming I think <laughs> for our solo projects um, we tend to work a little bit differently than when we work together. Um, I definitely uh, like to use a combination of sampling, and that's where things get kind of experimental. You know, I'll go outside and um, record some field recordings, um, and then I'll put them into some, you know, some like lower bit depth kind of sampling machines like in the hardware and manipulate them and sometimes turn things like, you know, uh, like the sound of construction into, you know, a drum kit or a hi-hat or something like that, you know? So we kind of take a little bit, that's like a bit of an industrial like, approach from when we were young.
0: Totally. That's um, that's what I was gonna. That's what I was gonna say. This is this is really the how the industrial music started. Like when people wanted to do like, hey, can we do this this sound? The sound of a chainsaw. The sound of this, and yeah. people started sampling. And other people said, hey, can we do that with the synth? Actually,
1: <laughs> yeah. And you know, so and back when we first started, we didn't have a lot of money to really uh, afford these really expensive high end samplers. So we just bought the cheaper 8-bit, you know, like an Insonic Mirage was one of the first samplers that we that we used. And we still have it and use it today as well, but um, you couldn't get a clean sound out of it if you tried. So we just kind of embraced the kind of harshness of it and found a way to kind of make it work with, with our music. So, you know, in, in that way, that's, I think... Some of the experimenting. A lot of times, there's like I'll layer different synthesizers together, and sample them through some effects to kind of to bring a different element and to make it unique. So it's not like you're hearing just this one typical synthesizer. Neither of us use presets. We make all of our own sounds. Um, often we erase the presets in the machines when we buy them. Um, just to, you know,
0: just to make it more sure personal.
1: That, yeah, it has to be personal. It has to have something that's unique to yourself. Like we're not into sample packs. We're not into, you know, this kind of stuff. We develop all of our own sounds. We'll build drum sounds from analog synthesizers or digital synths, or digital synths, whichever whichever. We, whichever we're interested in. Like, I mean, you know, I recently have bought a number of these old Kawhi digital synths, and they really don't sound like anything else. And, um, you know, it's, you go down the rabbit hole of, Oh, well, what does this one sound like? Okay. Well, I'll make a whole drum kit with this one and sample it. And then we'll make another drum kit with this other one and sample it. And so like, sometimes it's just like, there's just as much time in the sound making process as there is the song making process. Um, so, uh, and, and one thing can inspire the other thing. Like if I've made a really weird sound on the Emacs or the profit 2000 or the emulator, it could actually, it can really dictate how the track is going to go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: I totally agree with that. I've had that, that experience, um, since basically since I bought the, the, the OctoTrack, um, I got into the same. I got into the same kind of uh, pattern of uh, picking sounds. I think that, that was when I when I did the release for Rockets Audio. Um, I was in a, I was in a room with just the Octatrack. That's all I had, and I decided to use everything. The idea was to use everything how it should not be used. Like okay, I've got a drum kit. Let's make some chords with a drum kit. Um, I've got a bass. Let's make uh, a snare with a bass sound just by turning it into something else. And that can lead you just by taking one one element and transforming it to basically obtain something completely different than what it is, can lead you to um, basically an, an idea for, for a song. Completely agree with that.
1: Completely Absolutely. That's, that's a great way to work and, and a great way to think outside of of how to use a machine, I think. Well, I, I yeah, and some of these machines all like I mean, sure they have filters and envelopes, and they all do that in their own specific way. But some of the samplers have very specific digital um, things. Like there's something in the emulators that are as amazing called transform multiply, and we use this to create new waveforms. Often, you know. It, sort of makes a baby out of two new or two samples and it's a completely new sound. Um, sometimes it's a glorified sine wave. Other times it's really complex and strange. And, um, so, you know, like, and it's a, it's a time consuming process, but because it's such old technology, but there isn't really anything out there that does that. And, uh, in, in the computer world, uh, that sounds in this way. So, um, it's, it's just, we, we really get into these kinds of different types of techniques of creating sounds. Um, I don't know, it it can, it can really eat up an entire day if you're just trying to process a couple of long samples with it, but, um, it is a really interesting way to create something new and, and fresh and, and, and inspires us.
0: It's very funny because uh, there's this book from Julia Cameron. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called The Artist's Way, and it's a book made for blocked uh, writers. And she's like a. It's a. It's a multiple bestseller. It's. It's been basically on top since it ever was created, and one of the big part of it is she's saying how you, you need to fill the well you need to put water in your well and um, she's telling about a lot of uh, ways for riders to put water in the well and um, definitely when i hear you when i hear you talking it is of course um, a a, it is of it it is a curse to 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 really create your own sounds and really process as you guys do and as many people would like to do today but at the same time the process of creating your own sound is the way also to fill the well and to um, make something that is um, maybe mechanic, mechanical and really, really simple. Um, because you're not trying to make a track, you're simply trying to transform a, a sample. You, you're not yet at the stage where you say, okay, I'm going to make a track with that. Um, but whoa, it just whoa. fills your... Um, your your well of inspiration then you just have to drop your bucket in there and then boof track comes in
1: (laughs) exactly i mean it's nice to have it it's nice to have a a a set of these sounds that you've created you know sometimes some of them never get used and other times it's like oh man that one sample from 15 years ago i found a, a way to use it again and and like edit it in a different way and it turns into something else
0: and yeah, you can I, then reproduce the process and then change it again to something else and exactly. basically nobody recognizes it
1: well yeah. yeah and i mean that's the that's the whole idea for a lot of this is just that every track is becomes something special um because the sound is unique for that track and um yeah, like I, I started out with my sessions this weekend by turning on my little Evolver and making a whole new drum kit of sounds out of that, sampled into the S twenty four hundred, and it was a really good starting point for me because it was oh these are sounds I don't have on anything else and haven't used before, so it just it gives me a give me a new. Um, it gives me a sense of uh, exploration to start with,
0: and that's pre- that's pretty essential. I mean, that that word, especially um, exploration, can it does it does fit a hundred percent with um, how your music sounds like unique and and explorative. That's these are exactly two qualities for for people um, listening that maybe don't know your music yet um, that fail onto this podcast by like a complete hazard. Um, <laughs> This, these are like two qualities of your of your of your music, and um, it's actually listening really a lot again today to um, to to your music. Just uh, just in case I had forgot about it, <laughs> um, it feels it feels like unique, but there's always the the very the, the very same deep spirit, even though you guys have uh, traveled through a good variety of um, electronic music, still in the repetitive world. Um, but it does. It does feel unique and deep, and it feels maybe that's what is giving it also the the sense of infinity. Like every one of your tracks could last. It could go for 15 minutes. All of your tracks could go for 15, 20 minutes, and oh. it, you would not lose interest in it. You would still be like listening and dancing and traveling and and feeling the movements of the music itself. It's uh, probably something that uh, most of the musicians in in the repetitive electronic music world i'm saying repetitive because we do have um people liking sure. like this uh, construction of tech house like uh, build up boom break boom build up boom build up break that kind of thing that is very predictable and very um yeah just very predictable but um yeah the the the, the music that you do for the, for the music that you do you guys have reached this this level of of constant interest and constant subtle evolution in your music and probably this is this is one of the secrets to it
1: perhaps i think but i and thank you by the way but i i feel like um when we're when we're approaching recording after we've kind of figured out an idea um we don't, although the music itself can have, you know, of course has repetition to it. We really try not to make the sounds have um, have a repetition to the way the sounds travel. So I think travel is a really good word because um, often, and we both do this together, separate on our joint projects or for whatever reason we both do this we will record very long passes of of the sounds changing over time with so either like slow lfos or filters or whatever you know just, yeah adjusting the knobs on, the, on 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 the on the analog synths or making sure there's modulation happening in within a wavetable on some of the digital synths or some interesting artifact in in a sample where it's looping in a weird way that's kind of causing it to move. And so we're always adjusting these things ever so slightly when we when we when we record the part. Sometimes we record it for much longer than the track ends up being for mm-hmm. and have to cut it down to a shorter time period. So We don't necessarily like to do that, but sometimes we have to. Um, I mean, the thing is, is the whole idea is, is that each part is in the track and each part is a full performance, whether it's being played by a sequencer or not. The the movement of the sound evolving is, is the performance. Part of the performance. And a lot of times I think some people in the production like, that are producing electronic music kind of go, okay, I got, you know, an eight, eight bar loop of that performance and that's good. I'll just copy and paste it and copy and paste it in the computer and, and, you know, change it later if I have to, you know, but the, the idea that we have here is, is that the synthesizer that we're working on, is very much alive and traveling and we're going to manipulate it to make sure that it has performance on it. It's like some sort of human nuances that needs to be injected into the sound. I mean, and the analog synths kind of inherently do this on their own anyways, because they, one voice will be out of tune from the other one. Uh, you know there's some slight subtle things or where the pulse width mod is sort of changing subtly. like all of these little things within the analog synth is is changing. So therefore you can't even that alone, you can't do a short recording of it. You have um, to record you have along. to record a long pass of that. and then on top of it, we like to sort of evolve it as well, that performance that I was talking about earlier.
0: This is. Um, I feel like this is really. This makes me think a lot of um, the the like the how jazz music functions. Um, you guys are treating the synthesizers with so much with such a deep respect and and love and probably that's one that's one of the first thing that amazed me about about you guys. Um, but now now that we talk, um, I feel like the synthesizers are part of like sort of a band and. Um, you make sure they 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 express themselves um in a unique <laughs> yeah. way and yeah. probably yeah it's it, it really makes me think i've i've just finished a book about Wayne Shorter and he's talking a lot about um the the live sessions with weather report and like how mm-hmm. it was going on and how everyone was um basically talking to each other with with their music and how um the story was built in between the musicians and i i really feel like a lot of similarities in uh, what you're saying and what i've just read in in this book
1: yeah perhaps i mean the thing is is the synthesizers even on their own like you you, you You approach something like, say, a Roland, like a Roland Jupiter or a Juno, or something, compared to a sequential or an Oberheim. Their characteristics are so very different that they kind of speak for themselves a little bit. So by blending them together in a mix, they kind of have their own a bit of their own story. But you know, you tend to gravitate towards like no when you know kind of like what the sound of that machine is and you understand its parameters, you kind of push its strengths somehow and in a way that you kind of like relate to. So very much, I guess very much like a jazz instrumentalist would play, you know, like they have their one instrument that they know very, very well. And, you know, they can pretty much coax anything out of it. You know, it's kind of like that.
0: I think, and and same with the with like the the head of the band that knows his musicians. Um, I'm thinking of Miles Davis that was hiring musicians, um, sure, very very hard to enter a Miles Davis band. I mean, when you see the names that were in there, um, Herbie Hancock, um, who else? Bill Evans, Wayne Shorter. Yeah. Um, all all these guys and he was listening to them for a long time before they were entering the band and then there was also long discussions he was really trying to know the people inside out and then he was finding their strength and then he was using that but not only just using that and then pushing it to the limits really pushing it to like places that they never thought they would they would go to and yeah it's but I also I also really like the um that the science of moving the parameters um, in a really in, in a in a subtle way. That's something I'm not necessarily good at at the moment. Um, I'm more maybe that's the the old punk rocker in me that goes like,
1: wah, wah, wah,
0: wah. but um, I'm always fascinated um, when I when I hear music and I I hear that happening and um, these like really really very slight movements that actually make the track. And this uh, element that was at the very end, even with effects and reverbs and like everything, every spatial effect, when you have like something that's really far out, so far out at the beginning of the track, you, you almost, you can't hear it the first time you listen to it. And then you listen again closer and you actually feel it coming very, very slightly up. And then at some point it appears and you feel like it appears out of the blue, but actually it was coming up. Since the very beginning, and that's a that's a really uh, magic thing to do in a in a track.
1: For sure, I feel also it helps um, decipher your arrangement in a track, right? Like <clears throat> the thing is, a lot of people kind of that I know that work on music seems to get stuck in this loop and can never finish and say, "How do you arrange your your tracks?" It's like, I don't know, it kind of sort of happens naturally, you know, like by doing these kind of slight manipulations on the sound as you're going, it uh, it kind of decides for you how you make your track and, and finish it. <laughs> you know? I mean, we, we also tend to do some performance things with like the analog sequencers, like, yes, like sure. switching steps on and off and recording whole, whole piles of changes into our um into our recordings while we're doing that and you know sometimes we'll edit that it's like oh that one's good so maybe this one that's more minimal will start out the track and it will will bring in the other part later um and sometimes it just happens naturally that it oh well that was cool maybe that's how we'll do it and that's that will dictate the the arrangement Um, um Yeah, or like how maybe some the way the filter had swelled up in one spot might be a good point to bring into the track later, and that's you know like so these things sort of often like we we don't go into the idea knowing that this could be the thing that changes our our uh, track quite drastically, but it ends up dictating how it is in the end. Which I think a lot of. Uh, sorry uh, one one quick comment before uh i think from performing live perform like doing live pas often is kind of teaches you a little bit how to how to um get that flow going when you're in the studio anyhow sorry i i cut you off
0: oh please no no problem at all um, but that brings me—that brings us back to uh, this idea of experimental. It's actually the the experiment. The experiment happens. Um, it's not a not necessarily um, an experimental idea, as in. Um, okay we're just gonna we're just gonna like just like that guy that is there's a guy on YouTube that's like making as much noise as he can I actually really love what, what he does not in terms of music but in terms of an experiment he's like he, having bunch of distortions and shit he's got so much hair on his face can't oh, even see oh <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: but he's amazing that's uh, when we say experimental like people would think of that but actually your, your vision of experimental is um, we are we have an idea in mind and then we introduce the synth parameter which is considered a person and not an object and is acting on its own and has its own personality and its own and its own strength and then there is the magic of the moment that is going to make me push that button at that moment because I had the feeling for it and it directs the arrangement for the for the whole track yeah that that, that makes sense uh, that i think defines the experimental Um, term that you've used on that other um, interview which was actually really good really really good amazing Um, about uh, building a patch do you guys have um, like let's say you get on a let's say you get on a synth and um, because let's just say um, when I was thinking of the the interesting questions I wanted to ask you I was actually thinking okay um, what do uh, what what kind of what kind of thing would I like to know Um, even though I know how to build patches on certain synths but there's for some reason there are some others like I'm struggling with the analog for like crazy I'm just I haven't touched it for months just because I just I'm just freezing in front of it so do you guys um, whenever you get in front of a synth do you guys have like um some sort of a roadmap to to build a, a, a patch or um, do you also go with the flow or um, how do you guys proceed to build a new patch on a on a synth
1: well, I mean, I guess it just depends on what synth it is. And I mean, you can't approach all of them in the same way at all because you have to, and also have to know what your starting points are. For me, it's like, okay, obviously an oscillator is a good point um, to start with. And, um, you know, you got to look on the synth. Well, what's this machine offer for oscillators? So, um, or is it a sampler? So, uh, yeah, like, Getting, you know, if I want to have like a mellow sound, maybe I won't use a big sawtooth wave. I'll use a, I'll use a uh, triangle and layer it with a square or something. But like, it just depends on what machine. Like some machines are starting points are very complex. Like I've I've recently gotten Oberheim Expander, and it's it can be pretty deep that machine. So it's good to start by initializing and getting. Uh, a blank canvas. Um, yeah. Uh, and on, on a lot of these machines, it's good to start from nothing because, you know, s- there's so much modulation that it can really yeah. get confusing. If something is not reacting the way you want it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it is really important to start from an in- initialized patch and I can see how maybe that might be daunting on something like the analog Four. um, Definitely. But yeah, I don't know. It really is dependent on the machine. Right. You know, um, and with some of these machines that we've got here, we've had them for, you know, some of them for 30 plus years. And um, And it's really like they're almost second nature, like walking up to a prophet five or the Jupiter eight. It's almost like, You know, we've used them for so many years. Like, it doesn't take any time to get what we need out of them because they just, it's like, I don't know, we we can pretty much use them in our sleep now. But uh, newer things like the wave state and and like the newer digital things that we have are, are, they take more time and a lot more concentration. I almost like to like pull things like that. Into, you know, the living room and sit on the couch or whatever and program it separately so then I can get into the nitty gritty with it. And um, instead of like, you know, when I'm in the studio and I'm trying to like make a track, it's good to then have those sounds that I've made beforehand.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because um, if you like the, the the problem that I get, for example, is with this machine is um, I'm making music and I'm like, OK, maybe I would use uh, some sounds from it. And then you're automatically you're going to start trying to do something. Then you get bored because you don't necessarily understand perfectly its language and you go straight to the presets and then you put in the presets and you're like, this is sounding like a fucking shit. Like I, I don't I don't like it. It sounds like really. Yeah generic and very like okay anyone can basically do it because all the presets are already in there um so
1: this is when it's good to have like in something like the analog Four when it's good to have a couple of basic you know things like okay have a pulse with modulation sound that has like two oscillators that are detuned from each other um have one that is like you know, your basic electric piano sounds, stuff that you can tweak easily, but like that has the the things yeah. there. You build you build yourself some patches of, of types of sounds that you know you're going to use, right? Uh, so like you have a day where you go, okay, I'm going to sit with the analog for today and I'm going to make, I need a string type pad. I need a stab sound. I need, you know, a few basic sounds that you can always turn to, to kind of get it like exactly where you want it for the track.
0: Yeah. And um, what I like though about this machine is there's like um there's a performance page and it includes basically all the four voices. So mm-hmm. you can you can set it up. You have like uh, eight buttons that you can set up to 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 basically control anything on the four voices or on the effects or even on the CV sequencer. And by building your uh, I think The reason why this machine is made to build your own patch and not use um, the presets is because how you build your patch, you will also always have the same way to use um, this performance this performance page and so whenever you go and play live or whenever you want to record something on it you know instantly which button does what and you're not going to look okay i've set this up like this for this machine and uh, they set it up like that for that for that patch they set it up like this for that patch it's it becomes insane if you're using someone else's patches
1: yeah yeah for sure they, and the thing is electron are very good at at i think when you buy an electron out of the box and you know I have analog rhythm and I use that for my live performance all the time Um, out of the box that I think they're they they really try to demonstrate as much crazy stuff that this thing can do but you know that's not necessarily what you need it to be for for you know like a dub techno pad sound or a, a, you know what i mean like or, or like a subby bass it doesn't need to have 20 things modulating it it can but it doesn't necessarily always need that some good interesting effect on it could probably do as much as 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 20 modulation points you know? yeah when you strip things down to it being a simple synthesizer and get rid of all of the craziness, it can then maybe do something a lot more useful. Um, Like, yeah, like, I don't know, think of the older synths, like the Jupiter 8 and the Prophet 5, they don't have a ton of crazy things in them, um, which makes it easier and quicker to program. I mean, they just sound good, so you get good sounds and good results quickly. But it just, if if you think of it in that manner and, just you know, do away with all the crazy modulation. Then you can, you can still get decent results.
0: Yeah, simple. Simple always wins. Simple always wins in terms of uh, modulation. So once you have your, um, let's just say once you have your your um, <coughs> waveform ready, and um, you do you kind of program a melody already with it, or do you keep playing with the with the sound and just um, not necessarily program with it? I mean, do you program a sequence when you're when you're um, doing your patches, or do you just play with the sounds and wait for the sound to be exactly what you want?
1: We just play, play the like I don't know. We're keyboard players, so oh okay. Um, like we, I don't know. I always sit in front of the keyboard and I play whatever chords or whatever, and then until I get it the way I like, I start. Then after we get the waveforms, we you know start filtering and doing some envelope stuff and and. Um, adding LFOs Um, it's, it's at that point when we start making the sounds have a little bit of movement, but it's nice to play as a, like as a keyboard while you're doing that. And then, you know, if something sticks where you come up with a melody or come up with a chord structure, then it's like, okay, I should record that. Like it's time to, now I'll just, do a quick sequence of it after like after you've been kind of working with it for a while right but but when we're making sounds usually sequencing isn't doesn't kind of come into play until after the fact
0: so it's more it's more a matter of playing maybe that's why um manel starting started to take piano lessons and now is playing his own music i was talking with him uh like a maybe couple of months ago and he was saying yeah now I make when I make when I make dub techno music I spend more time making the sound itself than the chords which is life-saving for him that's what he was saying yeah,
1: yeah it's good that he's learning piano it's uh, I'm, I'm happy to see that
0: yeah I've had that in mind but let's just say um unfortunately until the days can last 48 hours <laughs> without any without anything harming your your health
1: <laughs> your the thing is is in your music the the melodies are so good already though i i i feel like when i listened to your music the um there's no it doesn't it doesn't sound like you're struggling to learn how to play a piano <laughs> let's just put it that way
0: it's it's actually funny cuz for all there there's like a, a a few tracks in which there is like a, a like a, a consequent uh, let's say melodic construction or melodic uh, movement, however we, we want to call it. Um, and these things just come into my mind instantly. It's just like, uh, be, it, it's really about, for those tracks, it's really about being at the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. And that melody yes. will come over, and then this melody is in my head, and instantly another one is going to come as an answer. And then something on top, and something like to sustain everything in the in the bottom, and something maybe that will come in sometimes here and there, but it just really comes in uh, naturally. uh, Is something that I'm, I'm not. If I'm sometimes I'm kind of struggling to put in melodies. I'm struggling to build that, and it never comes. If I'm just there and I'm trying to do something completely different, and then I have that idea, and this melody comes in, like that's it. I'm going for. A melodic piece like that, just same as um Nishama, for example, was was made like that. Um, literally, I had two notes of Rhodes, and on top of that, then the strings came in, and then after that, the rest, and that was pretty much it.
1: Sometimes less is more, right?
0: Yeah, totally. But that's also I'm I'm the same. Uh, the same as you were saying like sometimes you record more than you're actually going to use i'm actually doing that a lot these days since about a year i record um a ton of tracks like when i'm in recording mode i'm always going to record way more than i need and then once i get to mixing i'm like okay mute 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 save for another project and keep try to keep the essential but it doesn't it doesn't always work i mean we all know music doesn't always work <laughs>
1: One of the the things that we do also, and it helps with stripping things down is then after recording a whole slew of things, we will then take those recordings and run them through modular synths um, and, and um, filter them weirdly. And, um, and sometimes it just sort of thins them out enough or breaks it down enough that it's, uh, makes it a lot easier to mix and or turns it into the right sound. You know, something or it just changes it completely depending on what the what the task is. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was the advice from a, a big modular guy from from Berlin, Philip. Really, really nice dude. Um, he was he looked at my setup and he was like, you don't you don't you don't need any more source right now. You need things to make them make them weirder, make them like transform them. So that was the idea for, for me to get into modular is definitely like elements that will help me exactly achieve that.
1: Yeah. I yeah, mean, it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to get into. It's <laughs> a very slippery slope <laughs> to fall down. You <laughs> mean modular <laughs> Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, like we've had some some different uh, modulars for a long time. Some of the older ones, like we were very lucky to have a, an our twenty six hundred when we were in high school, and um, so we've had that for a very long time. And I found a Roland System one hundred M just around the time of the beginning of that whole Euro rack phase. And it was sort of a all in one. It had all of the different components of of a modular in one, and ended up being cheaper than having to buy a, a Euro rack. And then of course. You know, I was working at a, at a at a music shop here in Toronto for some time and uh, ended up starting to buy Eurorack. And the nice thing was is that it was incorporated nicely uh, with the Roland and the ARP 2600. So they all kind of sit together on one shelf and can all play quite nicely together and interpatch. So it just, yeah, it just turns into this kind of complex, crazy thing and that you can just keep adding to and adding to. You know, It's certainly not an inexpensive way to, to work. I mean, I, I thought I would make it cheaper by learning how to build stuff. And I mean, yeah, it was a little cheaper. I built a Surge modular synth and um, it's cool and everything, but then I just sort of like, oh, well, maybe I need to buy this little thing to go with it and this little thing and then ends up being a lot more work to uh, finish a project uh, by building these things but uh, it ends up also being very unique like the other thing is, is you can just keep going and going and going at one point you have to like decide like okay that's enough.
0: But that's that's the same with making music I mean um, I have the idea to go modular is just simply I did not have um, a real starting point and also um, like a real budget to, to to invest to invest into it. but uh, similarly like uh, some, some people whenever whenever I, I wanted to get to get into that all everyone around me was saying like no, don't do that. you're never going to finish a track again for the next like five years or something. Um, but I'd say it's um, that's where that's where maybe discipline comes comes into comes into um, the game. Um, if you're disciplined with uh, an idea and you go like, okay, I'm gonna buy this. I know that this is something that's gonna take some time for me to to know how to handle. And but I'm sti- I'm really sticking to that. If I have an idea, I'm just gonna put it on whatever um, a trello file or like a, a, a notebook or something and just like write it down. And then within a few months, consider eventually, eventually these ideas. But yeah, modular is um, a friend of mine, Rob um irishman making absolutely fantastic music and Rob, if you're ever listening to this and you still haven't f- haven't finished any tracks for the six years, I know you i'm gonna beat your ass really bad and, <laughs> Get done. rob Rob we were living together, and rob is um he's making something um some kind of really really dark and but not not dark as in uh, depressive um really um um dark and deep kind of uh, dub techno sort of dub techno but not really quite experimental also and it's always like these loops that never end but they are so never ending that he never really finishes music with it and they're amazing like if you listen to them you just fall from your chair you're like Jesus Christ this is absolutely amazing but the next day, he's onto something else and the project is saved somewhere else and then he's completely forgot what he's done two days before and he's onto something else all the time. So that's the risk. But if you give it discipline, um, same with the OctoTrack. OctoTrack, you can always go and resample and re-transform and rework it out and then get interested into other people, how they use it and use it to try to use it the same way. It's also kind of infinite, less infinite than... Modular synth, but it also has this infinity kind of thing. All but right. if you put a discipline, you go like shit. No, I've got to finish that stuff. Like that is that the lads are waiting. Like that needs to be done. Then you finishing get your shit done.
1: Commitment to the idea and and to to finishing like by not overdoing it and like, okay, well, there's this one thing I'm going to add. Okay. i gonna this other thing I'm going to add, but there's a point where it's like, well, you're not making it any better by just adding more things all the time. It's like, is that good? Is that not good? Is the decision that you have to make? And because we mix in an, in an analog environment, we have limitations and those limitations are good. You know, we only have 16 tracks of audio uh, coming out the mix, coming into the mixing board, and so you have to really limit yourself. Like um, because if you start adding too much of that in the computer and layer upon layer, it just shit gets lost and it's not good sounding. And um, I think it's very important to say, no, this is it. This is done. This is good enough. So uh, like, you know, I, and that, that part of that also comes from what Matt had said earlier is the live performance angle, you know, it's like you just you figure out how to make it work really quickly. And then it comes together quickly because because of that experience. Yeah. Performing live in front of a, a, an audience with with and we perform live without a laptop, as you've seen in the past. Um, with just you know, just an electron and just a like a tr8s or you know just a couple of these small things teaches you that this one thing can do a hell of a lot, and if you really like plan it properly. And so we take a lot of what we how we perform live with the with the, these machines into the studio and apply kind of our knowledge to how. To mix and arrange the tracks in the studio.
0: Yeah, live performance definitely is. Um, it is. It is something to. Um, at, at, I think it is something. It's hard to uh, get to get into it and um, to um, start. Basically, to uh, let's just put the right words at the right place to have the balls to start a live because. Like it's uh, there's a whole element of it's your own music, it's you. You're doing it. You're not playing someone else's record. You're not. Um, it's a complete different game. And if you fuck it up, you can't like you can't blame anyone else but yourself. Like so, there's many yeah. things around the live performance. But uh, on the other hand, it, it looks it looks extremely um, rewarding in terms of what you learn from every performance. Because even though your life is pretty much uh, going to be the same for a, a certain amount of time, um, I. Do you think you you ne- you always learn something new from every live performance and everything that you did? Um, yeah. And then what what you just said, like you learn how to do how to do more with with less elements, and like you really use the elements you have.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're when we're performing live, we have to we, we want to recreate our our records, the sound of our records, in a lot of ways, and and do it you know, somewhat convincingly and, and we, we don't like to travel with a ton of stuff. So we have to, you know, really know our equipment well for that aspect of it and, um, and know that we're able to get a Jupiter eight type sound out of something like, you know, the, the TR 8s or the, the analog rhythm. So it, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's it's just it really you it you you have to learn how to flex your muscles this way you know like a little bit yeah and also know when to change things if you know if if you're unsure if it's working properly and that you this is what how you learn from the diff playing the diff same set in different places is oh well that track kind of worked here maybe we switch it up or we'll remix it and you know we'll do a remix of that track for the next performance so then it's kind of a slightly different take on it
0: that's sort of the idea um jeff mills had when he was saying that um when i think it's when he moved to when he moved to new york um he was saying that at that time he started to basically make music that he needed like he was going he was going to play gigs And he played gigs, and during the gigs, he was like, "Okay, I wish I had something like this." And then he would come to the studio and just make it. I think this is, uh, yeah, this is uh, the 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 summit of uh, making music. You go out there, you play, and then you come back, or when whenever you have a a moment, or like in between gigs, whatever, um, you you think, "Okay, I wish I had this kind of track." Um, Another friend of mine was was doing that when he, and it's actually when he started playing live um he was thinking okay i wish i had that type of track to to put it in and the next live he did he actually made just sort of a basic loop to, to to play with and that loop when he came back to the studio a couple of weeks or months later turned into a track and was absolutely amazing and super minimalistic but just he made something that he needed for that moment for his life
1: that's really awesome like it's it, that Matt and I have been experiencing this as well, where, you know, where we have made some sort of, I don't know, we often will make some patterns as like transitional patterns uh, to go from one track to the next. And like we've come out of live sets and, and tours with new tracks because it's like, wow, that one went over really well. We should record that. Um Or you know where the we'll have a recording and a record label will come to us and say, "What about that section of your live set? There, like, is that anything?" And it's like, "Well, I can make it something." I mean, we have the patterns here. I can record those, and so like this is this has happened quite
0: a lot lately. A couple
1: of times, definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like what you. I also like what you said about um the. the limitations of the of the 16 tracks um there's a lot of there's a lot of people that um i hear going going by that i think um uh, rick wade had had that going also rick wade was was saying um that a piece of music will always fit uh, at, i can't remember if it was eight or 16 tracks and if it needs more then the track is not is not quite there and um, there's a lot of there's a lot of, of people maybe um, maybe mike also was was thinking was thinking that way. I don't really know if he, if he really was.
1: I don't know. I mean, in the, in the, the time that I worked with Mike in the studio, it certainly didn't seem like we, we used more than 16 tracks. I think that it was pretty minimal. It was pretty, pretty minimal. Yeah. Because, you know, with, the my life with the wave project, um, you know, of course, he came. He drove up to Toronto, and and I said, "You're bringing the wave with you." <laughs> and I, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the Waldorf Wave. I have some, if you have, of, of his, if um if you if you ever want them. Um, and it's a very large synthesizer with a with a panel that raises up like a mini mog. It's like a hydraulic. It's held with hydraulics. With- yeah. Um, Yes, it's it's not small. Um, it commands attention, that synthesizer. And so, but it only has, you can have eight different synth parts playing back on it at one time. So I think maybe the most we might have used was four. And the sounds are so giant from it. Yeah, It doesn't really need more. The sounds change quite a lot. And I think um, with the My Life with the Wave, Stuff we we used that and we used the MPC sixty some drum samples that he had um, that he had brought with him that we that we sampled into the MPC sixty um, and maybe with some eight oh eight on it I don't mm-hmm. even think so I think it was mostly the MPC sixty but yeah I, I mean the emphasis on that was you know, make these sounds complex and have changes in them that and, and with great delays and, and that was really his kind of like I felt like that was his very his pinnacle dub techno um record, actually.
0: Yeah, he was um the the like the amazing thing about his music was I feel like he was covering um a lot of the past from, from Detroit, like a lot of the really classic sounds from Detroit, but his music was also oriented a lot to the future, um, which was originally the idea of Detroit music. Detroit music was the music of Absolutely. the future.
1: Like Yeah. I mean, we, we grew up pretty close to Detroit on the Canadian border. Um, so we spent some time in Detroit, when we were in high school. Um, so I understand kind of where the, all of that comes from. And uh, very much it's kind of, it influences us all the time in, in the way we make music here still. Well, here. We, we grew up listening to a lot of, you know, Motown and Detroit radio and things like this. So it's it's sort of, in our spirit a little bit, you know, and our, and, and it, it's, it's in our creative process from the beginning. And so, um, I, I mean like, uh, that sort of jazzy, I think that's where that whole, those jazz chords come from is, is from that, that sound. At one point when I was, um, when I had first met Mike, he actually told me that he signed up for jazz piano lessons, and uh, he was studying jazz chords for some time. And he was so excited to just play some chords t- for me. Um, and uh, yeah, he got—he was—he was good. He was good at it, like pretty pretty quickly. So. Like us, he would sit and program his his synthesizers by, by playing chords and manipulating the sound and playing these... He would play these chords and they would be, like, these seven-note, like, inverted jazz chords <laughs> all the time. And it really impressed me a lot when he would do that. So...
0: I mean, and that, that with the
1: programming on the wave alone, like, it's just, like it was magical and it came so easily to him like he just sort of would you know call up a sound and then tweak the sound a little bit and play a chord and it's like well there it is let's record that you know like that's sounds wonderful yeah
0: yeah when you i guess when you when when you can play when you can really play when you add when you add the science of synthesizers and like the really the when you when you know your gear you know you, you know how it works and you've discovered it's its very own special magic the very own special magic of every synth and you combine that with um knowing jazz chords or knowing how to manipulate chords knowing how to actually make a chord prog- progression on your own without having to uh, think and move little squares on a on a on a on a screen or like on a, on a on a MIDI sequencer, it's it is definitely a game changer. But uh, what I what I feel about Mike's music was the intensity of um, the chords, the intensity and the of, of the musicality of his tracks. Like really the musical parts of the depth of the musical tracks of his of his the depth of the musical parts of his tracks. I'm gonna get to it. Um, it It really came at the right time. it was not something that was um overused. it was like drowned into um a genuine sense of repetition and groove yeah. and then right yeah. when it was needed, boom that kind because of I,
1: I think because he knows he, he he started off as a dj um before he really kind of before he he got into like learning how to play piano um so he still had that that element of repetition like he he understood the the idea of repetition and oh maybe there shouldn't be too many notes here yeah right i have to sorry i have to go because okay, i have yeah. not know um, it's um,
0: no problem enjoy enjoy part. you're going for hockey right
1: no i'm going to a dinner party
0: good man good man then enjoy have, have a nice evening it was really really nice to talk to you but uh, nice we're gonna we're gonna do that again we're gonna do that again with you
1: yeah we'll talk more soon
0: have a okay, nice evening so
1: not, it's okay, okay too yeah so yeah we can we can continue this no problem i'm not doing anything. good so, um, yeah so anyways uh what was i saying um
0: he knew he, he was a you were saying he was a DJ before, so you knew when to um let the music breathe, put less yeah. notes.
1: He was really good at that. Sometimes, you know, when we were working on the my life with the wave um arrangement, I I said to him, you know, how long do you, how long is this track gonna be? I don't think we can make it ten minutes, you know. Um so I would have to sometimes tell him, okay, like maybe figure out a way. We got to figure out a way to like end this somehow because it it's going on and on and, and, and it really, the groove was good enough it could. And and there was just enough things to kind of come in with like a nice delay or or whatnot on it to kind of like let it do that. But definitely I think there were some times when he would be making – Uh, we would be working on a track and i would walk out and make go and make dinner and it was still going on so it was pretty funny he loved getting into he got sucked into the into the into the groove of things for sure when he was working on stuff
0: but that's also what made uh what makes some of his uh because like uh, i think mike's mike's music is um really extended like there's really a lot of different um facets of his music that are each incredibly yeah. amazing and uh, pleasurable to explore but that was if there is one thing that I that I really like and if there is um, maybe that's a bad word bad word to use but I, I like to think of artists as people I like to use at, at some point same as you guys whenever you have your synth collection you go like okay I'd like to use this one for this specific purpose um, I'm the same with records whenever I want to create a certain atmosphere or whenever I'm Like around at a certain time of the night, I'm like, okay, now we need, if I want to achieve this kind of music at the very end of the night, I want to play this sort of music, we need to have a very long period of time with only groove, or we need to have a very long kind of wandering period of time. And if I want an effective wandering period of time with groove and still um, depth to it and kind of still have matter to it, not something... um, like extremely minimal and on the edge of boring, I'm gonna use uh, Mike's music. Uh, it's definitely something that's gonna sustain the the pressure, the groove, but add an element of wandering. Of like, sort. It's not. It's not necessarily breathing because it's much longer. So yes. at first, I would say it starts breathing, and then at some point, people start to wander. And yeah. when they wander, then this is how you can. This is when you can start. Um, building another atmosphere or like try to bring stuff that you want to, that you want to play, um, later on in the night. And his music was absolutely perfect to it because, yeah, just because that, 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 that never ending groove and the, the pressure that was always coming out of his, of his music, of some of his music. But yeah, it's, yeah. he's definitely one. I'm, I'm guilty of not knowing enough. Um, being inter thats the problem of being interested in so many kinds of music. That there are always people, um, which you you wish you knew you knew better. Um, but I mean, music is always available. There's always a way to get to, to get the records or to get the to buy to get to buy the files when they're available and and download. Sure. Um, yeah. But I, I think really, it he's a he's one of the he's one of the guys that definitely shifted electronic music to to something else he participated to it but at the same time did not necessarily um i i feel like he never really wanted to take credit for it he was just making the music for the music or maybe i'm wrong
1: i don't yeah i he was a really um really a community oriented person um I don't think he wanted to take credit for anything. He just wanted to be involved and work with people and understand, you know, if he was playing at a party, he wanted to understand the lineup, you know, how the night was going to go. You know, like he was really into the community of of the scene, I guess. Not really the scene, just He was just into community and I think that comes from him working and managing, you know, the dance room at record time in Detroit, which is like an iconic record store. You know, he did that for many, many, many years. Uh, And then he went on to teach classes um, at the library in Detroit. Um, He got funding to get, Moog involved and got some Moog synthesizers for the for did all of these things that um were for the community right and that's the one thing that that there is in Detroit is this kind of it feels like a it feels sort of like a a small town in that way it's not but it feel it has that feeling like anyone that's involved with house music there. Is um, really, really uh, like they're all. Everyone knows each other.
0: <laughs> the community sense is what comes out of Detroit. That's one uh, that's uh, one thing that we used to we used to have in Berlin. That that is uh, really really changing now the nowadays uh, that has been changing. Let's say since the fast the past um, the fast and the fast past five years exactly how they how they were. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, Detroit, I, I feel like, I, I don't know, I've always been um, deeply attracted to, to Detroit. And every, like um, when I started to listen to electronic music and I started to really dig in, go into the record store, made friends with the guy that was uh, owning the record store. And every time I was pulling out a record, he was like, okay, so you're really into Detroit stuff. And then I realized that a lot of the things that I was listening to were actually uh, connected one way or another um, to Detroit. And maybe we feel that sense of, um, community and that sense of everyone together. Um, even a friend of mine was uh, invited by um, what's his name, um, Terence Dixon, and he mm-hmm. knows him. Pre- he knows him pretty well, and he got to he got to spend some time with him in in Detroit, and he took him to like some really underground places, basically underground radios and like uh, basements of people like throwing a, a house party with um, a couple of DJs and. He said to me, it really felt like just everyone was coming together from every age. He was like, there were people that were like 70 years old, coming down, having a beer, um, listening to electronic music, listening to disco, and then somebody just bought records, came over, played a few. Um, Just really exactly what you said, really about the the community, about all being together. Maybe um, because the rest of the country left them out for dead for so long maybe
1: yes well you know and the there's also like the downtown part of detroit for the longest time it's still not <clears throat> excuse me it's still not perfect but downtown detroit was a bit of a, <clears throat> a sort of a ghost town like if you lived in and you did anything down there which you know, submerge <clears throat> record time, um um and like the, the guys from underground resistance all had their offices and you know a lot of the producers had their offices downtown and it was a it was a ghost town like all of these abandoned places was it's not like a normal city like here in Toronto where the downtown is this you know huge thriving place. Detroit was not like that for a very long time. So everyone kind of had to stick together. It was also quite dangerous. So, um, you know, everyone kind of, kind of just had to be a community. And I'm just saying this being on the outside, being friends with some of these people and only experiencing it in a very, you know, in a, in a, in almost a touristy kind of way like I didn't live there so I only got to experience it you know in a small amount in comparison but it really did rub off and every time I go back there I always have a very good feeling from Detroit you know I do feel with Berlin it. It has it has pockets of this. It still has pockets of this. It, yes, it has changed a bit, but um, you can still find it if you look. Um right? for sure.
0: That's that's the reason why I'm sticking to the city, basically. But um, um, it used to be a lot more, and uh, it's it's kind of the same idea because Berlin Berlin has been for Germany. Ber- Berlin has been Germany's cancer for decades. For decades, it was basically destroyed, and um, yes. from what I know, it was just like, okay, um we've no money to, we've no money to build it back up again, and every time would, someone was trying to build something back up, then things would fall off, and people were unemployed, and people had no money, and they were just they were just basically left over le- le- just left for dead by the rest of the country and if you were from is- Berlin. Yeah. Like that this was is the
1: same as Detroit. Too, right? Exactly. Yeah.
0: But uh from there, um my 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 sister was always talking about uh, something like a um, a, f- a form of flower that only grows on, on on um on basically on shit and it's called we call it La Fleur La Fleur de Fumier. In in French. Oh, yeah. And yep. it says that there's like a, a theory that says that this flower can only grow on shit, but it's actually one of the most beautiful flowers that exists because it grows on it grows on whatever no one wants. And Berlin, this is the one thing that um it literally got me crying. The first time I came to Berlin I went back home to Nice. I felt I got down on the plane, I cried because I was like this is this place, like these people, they really know they know how to do something with nothing. And we here in South of France, we have everything and we do fuck all. We have everything, cool. we do fuck all. They have nothing. They go like we went to a bar with my brother-in-law and just completely lost in the city looking for a looking for a, a club where uh, Mike Dennert was was playing. And mm-hmm. just came into a bar and we're just like okay is that a bar is that what the fuck is that like it's just it's just pff, there's people in okay it's just get in get a beer and just like get recomposed you know just get composed get like an idea of where we are or where we're going to go and we got in and literally the bar was was composed of um like um, boxes of beers like these you know these big plastic boxes where they put all the beers yeah boxes of beer one piece of uh, like a um um wood like fucked up wood on top two girls behind one box to put the money in no credit card and there you go and like that's a bar and it was fucking rammed to the top couple of turntables with a couple of shitty speakers next your man playing like um everything from um post-punk uh punk rock um like soul anything basically like he was playing a lot of different stuff and came in there the beer was at that time the large beer was one fifty. One fifty. Yeah. So came in and I was like outside with my beer, looking around and going like for fuck's sake. Like in, in you would do that in France. They would say like that's not a bar, there's no lightning, there's no like big sound system, there's no this, there's no that. Berlin, right. four boxes of beer, like a little bit of a stock for to, to keep to keep them cold and there you go like that's that's your night and it went like that until when i came in in 2016 it was still uh, a big part of the city was still like that like we still had but that was the city like you yeah. you had like people and people the drinks were cheap because people had nothing like most of the people were unemployed so as they were unemployed they had to find a way to fill up their days so they made parties so they made art so they made music so they made Whichever the kind of um, creative um, action they could do, they would pick up stuff down the roads and like build something out of it and just leave it there. You're like, this is great, this is beautiful. You could sell it. I don't give a flying fuck about that. Like, that's just it sits there. Leave it there. Yeah. So yeah, that's
1: the, that's the that that energy still exists there, and I I feel it every time I go. And you know, I've been going there for many years now, and, and fortunate enough to be able to go and play and and experience that, and you know, also do a, a whole whackload of studio work because I get so inspired when I'm there. Um, even just from one night of going out to 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 hear, you know, an artist or a friend play or, or something like this, it still exists there. Um, much more than it does in Canada, it's Toronto is such a corporate place. Right this second, it's difficult to have a good party here. Um, you know, there are small bits of of interesting events that happen here and there, but it's not at that level, and um, it's very hard for that to exist here. I always felt that that time period, that time, like anywhere between five in the morning onwards was always a better time for some of my music. Anyways, you know, um, I don't, I don't try to like, I don't try to make tracks for peak time, you know, like that's just, that's not kind of in the, the tempo that's not in, like, I don't have those kind of rules. I just kind of like to prefer, it's to be a little bit more easygoing and laid back sounding, you know, in some ways. It can be dancey, it can be housey, it can have that, a, a danceable feel to it. But my tracks all, they, I prefer to kind of like, my favorite times are going to the club when it's around that time period anyways, when you've got that kind of like, almost like ambient housey groove or like some kind of washy sound is happening and and with the drum beat that's going on but you know what i mean like so i those are that's kind of my favorite time period anyhow so i think i try to portray a little bit of that in my music if i was a dj i would definitely spin around that time
0: people that are listening to electronic music for a very long time um certain types of djs certain types of music um, that is not necessarily too banging. Um, They're after this this idea of uh, of waves. Um, that's I kind of get close to to that idea too. Like there's going to be a wave, a, a long warm up, and then there's going to be a wave of intensity around like two, three o'clock, four o'clock, and then there's a a, a wave of people that were here early that are going to leave early, and then you get into Mm -hmm. another wave of this wandering time, which we were talking about earlier, this wandering time where you're going to just like put pressure on, onto people to just like, um, present movements that are going to happen later on. Very, very slight movements, but you're going to mostly play with emotions and, um, and, pr- and pressure without too much release. And if you can achieve that, let's say there's a time period, if you can achieve a music that is played over the length and with groove and with not too much intensity from five o'clock to seven o'clock, then after that, you can do whatever you want. This is literally like open door. But there has to be this time four to seven that is like strictly focused on groove and focused on something that is infinite and that puts a lot of pressure without too much release.
1: That's right.
0: Totally amazing, man. Yeah. Um, So are you more whenever you um, you get uh, creative with your music? um, Are you more? night creative, morning creative, doesn't matter. You can like be creative at any time of the day.
1: Um, no, <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a morning person as strange as that is. Well, I mean, we were just talking about favorite time of the party being in the morning. Right. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do wake up in the morning with a fresh set of ears and a fresh, fresh brain and um motivation and uh that tends to be when i do a lot of my creating that and during the day um i fall into a bit of a i guess it's a bit of a trance at night like i just kind of Almost get hypnotized when I'm working in the studio. at night. I, it's like a weird way of hypnotizing myself And so I feel like I don't get as much done. I'm a little bit maybe a little bit tired by that point. So um, I can come up with some ideas. I'll track them and record them, but I I almost never mix at night um, and um, maybe I'll make some sounds or some patches or something or like just kind of finish up or track one quick idea. If I, if some, somehow inspiration has hit me, I'll just quickly do something, but uh, it's not often that that happens at night time.
0: So more, um, you're more, you're more, um, following the urge in the morning to be creative. I'm, I'm the I'm exactly the same. Like I can work sometimes at night. Um it, it happens once in a while. But the most of the music to me needs to be done when you're when your head is the freshest, like you're you've had your whatever coffee, whatever your morning ritual yeah. is. You've done your morning ritual. I know that's going to sound like woo woo for <laughs> a lot of people, but um yeah, once you're once you're once your head is once your head is awake and you're and you're in um to me, I, I think music should be when music is one of the most important things in your life. It should be the first thing you do.
1: I try for that, Broadway. definitely. You know, um, it's not necessarily is it always um, like writing something or making sound. Sometimes I just want to play around with a piece of gear, get to know it, or I re- I'm reading through something in one of the manuals or trying to find a a, a specific parameter that I want to kind of work with or had an idea that, Oh, I wanted to maybe try, try this, this thing out that I had thought of like this, this one technique. And then, you know, so a lot of times in the morning, if I'm having my coffee, I'm sitting there with, you know, with a manual reading through it and about to go onto the synthesizer or, or sitting there just playing with something on the couch. Like, for example, this morning, I, I have a, um, a Joe Mox, uh, alpha base just sitting over by the couch here, um, that I wanted to kind of get to know better. It's a relatively new purchase for me. And, um, just wanted to kind of make some see how far I could get to making some tracks out of some samples I, I of my synths I had put into it and, you know so it's kind of nice to have like you know just I just do that most mornings yeah you know.
0: yeah that's a way to a way to get you into into the day it's funny cuz uh, yeah I try to I try to get as much as possible away from manuals in the morning like uh, morning needs to be like really <laughs> straight up like uh, straight up writing writing music manuals is more manuals is actually more at night and um, yeah do you get distracted a lot like in the morning or do I, are you more like uh, once you get into your manual you're crazy focused and like uh, the-
1: not at all Um i'm pretty focused the manuals are like that's not every morning like it's just sometimes if if there's a Something I'm not sure of like with a newer piece of gear like some synthesizers. I obviously I don't need a I don't need manuals to to use a lot of them But you know, it's just when I have a newer piece of gear or I'm trying to figure something out or have a curiosity and like I wonder if this machine can do this specific function. It's not that I have a manual every morning, but um, writing is definitely part of that process But it's not like you know some days you just don't feel like writing and uh you're making a sound or you're you have you're having another curiosity that has something to do with the studio um and you know on those days when there's like maybe some writer's block or something that's when i'm kind of doing that stuff
0: yeah so how long how long are your sessions whenever you're gonna you're gonna work in the morning
1: um that's a very good question (laughs) um they can go all day uh it's funny like I'll take breaks obviously to eat and you know if I'm at home I'm doing maybe some errands just like doing laundry and some other little things in between to take a break but uh uh They they often are four hours to eight hours, you know, it's, it's crazy. You just get so lost in that world sometimes that, uh, you're so hyper-focused on working on something that you, you don't realize it's been eight hours already, you know, and it's like, oh, well shit, my whole day has been in here, (laughs) you know. So um, that happens more often than not. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it starts off as a morning and turns into a day.
0: Yeah the four the four hour break seems uh, the four hour block seems like a a really common thing. Like many many people when when I was in the studio with uh, uh, a lot of like big tech house DJs from from Berlin, um, the four hour thing like to me at that time sessions had to last. I was not really often in in the studio so I they had to last like 8 to 12 hours and they were like no you sometimes I was doing just 4 and they were like yeah 4 hours that's a good session I do 4 hours all the time I was like fuck <laughs> no that's not good <laughs> but 4 hours needs to se- seems to seems to be a good block for 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 everyone to to get something going like 4 hours regularly seems to be a good block
1: yeah it, it can definitely can be that but um uh sometimes you know, like I'll, I'll have like an idea down. I'll, I'll have written something and I'll uh, go, okay, now I I need this one thing like to happen. And uh, the only way I'm going to achieve that is with the modular, you know? And so then I'll, that's a rabbit hole that you can go down, but I usually try to approach it with, with, um, with, an idea in hand of what I wanted to do, but um,
0: it's like there's a I, warning sign on the on the modular: like, do not approach if you don't have an idea.
1: <laughs> no, danger. No. <laughs> Always approach it; <laughs> like something cool will come out, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh,
0: well, something cool like the modular album that you did for Obsolete Component?
1: <laughs> yes, that was that was I, I think when we first got into the Euro Rack stuff.
0: That's a, um, a truly amazing piece. Like I am crazy about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, that was an interesting, um, that was interesting because we, you know, like synthesizers, like the Prophet five and the Jupiter eight and strangely enough, even some of the samplers, like the emulator two and emulator three, all have control voltage inputs on them. Um, So you can send them signals from your modular synthesizers and have them kind of get involved. Uh, um, So that happened on a few of those tracks on, on, on that stuff where it's like, oh, we want some, we want a polyphonic sound so we'll use the Prophet 5 but we'll make sure that it's all being fully controlled by the modular or, you know, we'll run it into the modular as well. So, you know, um, that happened quite a lot with that and, you know, that's happened on other, other records too, but that, that's kind of where that took shape was with that particular record. So it was was fun.
0: That's kind of an archetype for like the idea of a, of a concept. Um, like when I started going through the, the label and I saw this as, at at first, <clears throat> I started to listen and it's really like the archetype of a, of a of a, a concept. Like there was the concept, okay, we got a modular, we want to use only the only the modular and record directly. And man, like that is yeah, that's a yeah. something something like a, and it's also it's. It feels quite different than what there is available from from you guys um, on records, on digital, on wherever people can listen to your stuff. Um right. But at the same time, it's not like too. It's a it's a different it's a different shade, but we still feel it's it's you guys behind. Like we can still recognize the touch, the science behind this. Um, I see. But uh, yeah, to me, it's to me, it's one of the one of the pieces I, I love the most from you guys.
1: Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's something I often try to do. I, I did um, a release for um, a label called um, Eclipse Records that was out of Italy, out of uh, Torino. and um, they no longer exist, unfortunately. But I did a series of of recordings also with the modular that, um, went, I recorded directly to cassette. So same kind of idea, but, um, where all the sequences, I, I, everything that was being clocked off of the modular was an LFO was, was, was clocking the tempo. You know what I mean? So I didn't even use, um, I didn't even use like a computer to clock anything. Um, so it was kind of fun. Like the idea was that, Oh, this the voltage is going to tell everything what to do.
0: So when, when you okay. get an LFO to clock, so it's going to fluctuate all the time, isn't it? I might, I might ask really stupid questions, but my, my knowledge is not as high as yours.
1: No, but no, that's a good question. Some LFOs do fluctuate all the time and then other ones are very, very accurate. Um, Intelligel's um, oscillator that they build for Eurorack has a goes into you know it goes into LFO LFO or or audio rate um, oscillation, and that LFO is really super accurate. So I use that one to to be the clocking <laughs> of it because I didn't want you know I don't want a DJ to be spinning the tracks and have it just be like falling apart you know or like <laughs> when Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> you're you know like why did that all of a sudden that track just get screwed up at that point you know
0: same as when you're playing disco like really old disco and then the, like the drummer got a little bit tired or whatever just
1: <laughs> yes the drummer's the drummer's <laughs> yeah similar idea i guess but uh, yeah i don't know some sometimes we follow these kind of concepts through with these types of records and uh, and I was originally gonna release that, that, that tape project that I did for Eclipse Records on obsolete components. Um, but uh, he insisted on releasing it on a, like a, on a limited CD and cassette. So, um, so we went with that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's something I probably will get back to one day soon. Um, is doing another project that's like that. Another one that we did that was all entirely modular, like that, was the paperface uh, record that was all done with the surge.
0: That I didn't um, listen okay. to.
1: Not oh, yet. you haven't listened to this one? Not yet. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, so we were able to um, borrow a um, what's called an original paperface surge. Modular from the the early seventies, and these things are were at the time were like um, homemade kits that you would send away for the kit and build it yourself. So
0: in the seventies,
1: yes, yeah. wow, <laughs> um, so that's, you know, Surge were a very West Coast modular. Um, like along with Bukla.
0: They might have burned down a couple of houses on the way.
1: (laughs) Yes. Luckily, Mark decided to build um, one of the modern kits in his, is working. So, um, but uh, that came in like after the, after the fact we borrowed this other surge, our synth repair tech guy, you know, made sure it's working properly and um, so we were able to use this original surge to to build this record all of the all of the there's like a mixer in it so we would build the drum parts and and mix those we would have to we had to multi track that into pro tools because we just didn't have enough surge <laughs> surge uh modules to make the entire thing all at once so what we did was we built the drum the drum part and then we used the mixer and the, the, the sequencer in the surge to kind of arrange the drum part recorded that and then we you know along with the baseline and then we did the chord stab i would build a chord stab out of several different oscillators in a f- couple of different filters and we got that And then track that and then we would do another synth part like so we did that was a very meticulous process to to do that but it was really fun and it's a very unique sounding synthesizer very tricky to mix because everything sounds so sharp and so in your face on that synthesizer that um makes it a little harder to 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 have a cohesive mix So, but really interesting.
0: Paperface, right? Yes. That's the next. That's the next one I'm I'm going to listen to.
1: Yes. So. um,
0: So how did you? uh, How did you get into um, obsolete components? How did that?
1: Hmm. Okay. So obsolete components, you know, was originally was uh, Mark myself. scott stanley who is a a friend who lives here in toronto and jacob teeson who's a friend of, of an old friend of ours that we went to recording school with and constantly we are always doing music projects with him he's he's also uh released quite a lot of ambient music um we have our project faux fruit together on the label this project called students is something him and mark have done together on the label uh he's on the compilations as well. Um, So there were four of us together, and, you know, we all have a bunch of these old synthesizers. And, you know, at the time that we started the label, everyone, you know, everyone and their brother was just making tracks in Ableton. and, And it's fine and all, so many labels and so many people just doing this kind of thing. And we thought, why don't we just make a label of... Of, of music based on working with ob- old obsolete gear. You know, why don't we just do this and see kind of how that goes for fun only, not like for, uh, there is no intent for this to be a, a huge record selling label. It can be experimental ambient, it can be drones, it can be dub techno, it can be minimal, it can be housey. Like these are all forms of electronic music that we love and that we, you know, we wanted an outlet to be able to put stuff out without the judgment, without the labels, you know, like choose picking and choosing what goes, you know, like we wanted to just have our own label to say, Hey, like I want to release a drone song. Like, and it can come out, you know, that that was kind of our idea behind the label, just to have it be fun, it be friends and working on on these styles of music. Because, um, you know, there's certainly at the time, like there's not there's not a lot of record labels asking me to put out ambient tracks. And I produce almost as much ambient music as I do dub techno and in-house, you know. And, 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 and house, you know? So that was the reason why we started it.
0: That's a genuine uh, reason. It's strictly for the music. Um, it's hard. It's hard to make a label and to think to think like that, especially these days, and especially when you're doing um, physical. When you when you're going physical, it's because um, you always have this uh, this fear of it not working and yourself like ending up. Making four or five releases and just basically going bankrupt and going like, okay, look, we have to, we have to, we have to stop. But at the same time, if you're, yeah. if you're going, if you're going all the way thinking, I want this to, I want this to work, you're going to make moves that will destroy the main idea of having a label like that. At one way or sure. another, it will. Like you, it's it's inevitable. Uh, some people will come up with labels that are. Um, deeply experimental and deeply um, explorative I would say and they happen to work. they happen to work it out in a way that makes it work and it's great it's great for music. It's just great for music because for
1: sure it, it has to be fun yeah. you know and, and uh, some of the compilations we've done in the past we've had all of these art different artists involved we've said okay. Choose one of your favorite synthesizers that you have and write a whole track with just the one synth, you know, and then to tell us why you did that, like why you love that one synth so much, you know, and everyone was so excited to contribute to that. Uh, so like that was a concept and it did it did well, but you know, like we didn't put that out there to to you know sell loads of 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 tracks it sold a little bit but you know like a bunch of different people were just on it and just wanted to do something for the sake of doing it not like no rules behind um it having to have it you know a, a hit on the record i don't ever try for for hits on records like uh um with our label like i don't even try that for stuff that I'm doing for other labels. I just kind of give them music that I'm happy with that, that I've finished, you know? So I guess that's for the label to decide what, what works and what doesn't, you know, when I'm dealing with other labels, but for our own, sure. You know, we decide what works for, for our, the sound of the label, but we want it to be fun. Like as you, as you see on this compilation, it's okay if there's a track that's there's no drum beats it's okay if there's a super dreamy track it's okay if there's an upbeat one like it doesn't all have to be like a dance floor hit you know
0: it doesn't have to be all planned
1: no no um and i think that that was for our for the latest compilation has been um much of the success of it you know uh People are buying the ambient track. People are buying like everyone's buying a different track for a different reason, you know. And then a lot of people are just buying the whole thing. So um, because of that, I think it's 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 turning out really well.
0: Amazing. Um, I really love this um, idea of saying okay, pick one synth that you that you like. I wish my synth collection was. Um As big as I could do that. Um, Pick one.
1: (laughs) What makes it that can make it much harder?
0: Yeah, but it's uh, again about the limitations we spoke about earlier. Um, Yes, it's uh, you. You set limitations, and I mean that sort of limitation in general for my creative uh, process. I hope I don't sound like me, me, me in this podcast. I think I've been saying me, me, me a lot of times. I hate that. but I, I I like that that kind of stuff that kind of limitations is gonna um, I'm gonna have fire in my stomach instantly like just thinking of that that's the kind of stuff like you know when I'm I'm in the sh- I'm in the shower I'm like half awake in the morning and then I have this idea that's like burning fire in my stomach that's the kind of idea that will do me that like it's... Unbelievable, sure. because you're going to work with limitations. So you know you it's your favorite it's your favorite synth. So you know it upside down, which means yeah. you know how to use the elements how they should be used. But you also know you also have an idea of how to use the elements how they should not be used. And then you find somewhere in the middle in between that. And this is how you this is how you 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 make music that moves forward.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean I guess we've been talking about so many different kind of concepts and in, in the way and the way things work, but it it really does here it changes a lot. It changes often, you know, you just get an idea, I want to work with this one sampler or I wanna work with this one synthesizer. And so, you know, doing that compilation on the label was a really great way to kind of get everyone sort of excited about trying that. And it turned out it turned out it turned out really great, like to the point where I think so many people that were involved in that compilation asked, hey, so when are you going to do another one of those? Well, it's like, yeah, maybe, maybe we will.
0: You, but, you read uh, my mind.
1: <laughs> not quite yet, but maybe, maybe think about that. That's something we could consider for sure. So, although I think the next time we do a compilation, I, I I want I want an ambient one. We've done a couple of them. We did one called Pollution um, a while ago, and it was all ambient, and it was super fun. It was super cool to do it. That's so. amazing,
0: but I I, I think uh, that's also a good way to like uh, give direction to to everyone. Like go like not not directions as in uh, okay we want hits we want whatever, but like that when it's that kind of direction, like okay next uh, next complete. It makes me think of like uh, you know these like um, when you're in art school and they give you like a yeah. topic and you have to and everyone has to come with has to come up with something. That's why it makes me think of. Like you're in art yeah. school and like you're a bunch, you're with a bunch of like team players, like people you really enjoy being with, and same as I as I said, like the record looks like a really, a really, really, really good, nice and warm dinner party. Like you're like
1: it, it has that feel, doesn't it?
0: You're, you're you're going to it. You're on the way. You're just like oh, you're like a kid. Yeah that's that's amazing, um but yeah, giving like that sort of direction, okay, next compilation will be about uh, ambient next compilation will be about this, next compilation will be about that that's crazy yeah. uh, sampler, for example, you can only use a sampler
1: yeah, I mean that's that's definitely one one of them that one thing that Mark would like to do is he built this drum synthesizer um, that he wants to pass around to many people Wow. And, and uh, have everyone work with just that one thing and see what you come up with. So the the synthesizer at the moment is done and works, but he needs to put it in a box, like in a casing. So it's not just a circuit board with knobs on it. So So he can actually like, ship it to people or, or fly
0: it. or fly with it. Cause like you go through yeah. a TSA with that, they're going to look at you like the fuck you going to do with that shit, man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> that, like, that thing looks like a weird <laughs> bomb or something. Yes. But, uh, it, it's a sin.
0: You end up um, overnight in prison.
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyways, it's definitely, um, definitely, uh, something that is in, with the uh, with the pool of ideas of of future releases with the label, for sure,
0: this is genuine. Um as a last question, um I hope this is not too generic. um but do you have any purpose that you when you look at your um, when you look at your creative um journey through music? Do you think there is something you are uh, like a common thread you are chasing or something that you are chasing with your music, something infinite that you know you will never reach?
1: Hmm. I don't know if it's something that I, I'll never reach. I, I feel like it's something I maybe I approach at a different angle in, in um, every time I kind of work on a project and this is in within different styles of, of music uh, like, like ambient dub techno, or whatever kind of style of music I'm making. I'm always kind of um, how do I explain it? Um, I'm always sort of putting myself in to different environmental spaces you know what i mean like like i picture that i'm kind of in an outdoor space um trying to recreate the sound of that into the track somehow you know what i mean i don't know like i I don't know if it's being portrayed that way as a listener as they're hearing it But um, I take a lot of elements from uh, outside and I bring them in and I I try to create these grandioso like sounds, these swelling sounds or these kind of chords and these stabs that have this kind of deep mood to it. And I think that's kind of the Canadian aspect of what I do. It's often, an, it often, often has this darker sound to it, that it, that gets placed into the track, that adds this mood to it, um, and that comes from the inspiration of things outside. Does that make sense?
0: It does. There's a cinematic feel in your in your music, definitely. Um, sort of um, when you listen to, for example, to Eric Satie. Um, you can definitely feel that there are similarities between your music and Eric Satie's music. Of course, Eric Satie is like instrumental, is something that is a bit more complex and a bit more. But uh, the general feeling, like the, I would say, the gut feeling that you're going to have whenever you listen to, um, to Satie and whenever you listen to your music, we can definitely feel the connection between this visual element that you're trying to recreate, which was his intention yeah. also
1: it's not necessarily always just a visual thing. It's a, it's a, it's it can be in an emotional feeling. Um, I did this project called reclusion. It's also on obsolete components and it's more ambient, but uh, where I was kind of sort of dealing with myself in, in kind of outdoor spaces and, but facing fears a little bit. Um, like certain fears I have for like heights and like deep water and and strange things like that that. Yeah. I've had like strange dreams about, and I always am trying to kind of maybe, um, put placement to those things into sound a little bit. So this is, these are things that kind of, I draw some inspiration from and, and, uh, I'm sort of searching for, for a way to kind of, make it sound like that (laughs) i don't know how to how else to describe it but that's one of the things that i i definitely do for sure
0: that makes total sense
1: yeah
0: i mean when we listen to music from composers from like the 18th 19th century I mean, I'd always yeah. want to know what they had in mind when they were composing this because um, there is the feeling that you have about something uh, that's more, maybe more uh, relevant with visual art. Whenever you're going to look at some art, like I'm going to look at Hans Artung, for example, which I really love, minimalist kind of artist, and yeah. you look at what he does. And you go, Christ, I would love to know what this guy was thinking whenever he was doing it and what was his intention. Because if you have your own interpretation, your own vision of it, your own emotions that you feel towards uh, a piece, and then you have on top of that um, the person explaining the intent or their feeling about it, or uh, yeah, simply the intent that gives you like two, um, sort of two elements that will help you out keep this movement going like infuse your in, be inspired by that but not in a not in a way that is um um copying or destructive of the piece it's in a way that this it makes it sort of makes that piece infinite if that makes sense like that piece will yeah. will actually develop itself through your own compositions also and keep going and it will never it will never end
1: no, that makes, that makes sense. Like, because I think in a lot of ways, like when I'm making tracks, I just kind of sort of keep on going, making them as well. And it it does sort of evolve over time and, and and whatnot. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's just kind of sort of the way I work. I mean, you should talk to Mark and see what he has to say about that. I'm sure he has his own, his own, um, inspiration and concept and when we work together it's it's you know it's not like that um we kind of we work together on on something or on a concept or it's when we're working together it's more about trying different synths and stuff we're not we don't talk about the emotional connection we're just kind of doing it um but something i think about a little bit more when i'm working by myself you know
0: that makes a lot of sense but uh, as I was yeah. expecting um, there's there's, an, uh, there's it's actually good because there's a, a a feeling of infinity in your music and everything that is around um, you guys both of you and your persons who, who you are and the way you make music the way you practice this passion and what you put into um, it's just infinite
1: I hope so I hope everyone um, kind of can see a, a lens into the, the process that of how we do things here, you know, um, and learn, maybe learn a little bit about that. You know? I'm always happy to talk about those things. I'm always it's easier to talk about it in this kind of conversation than it is to just try and like write it down and, and have people have a full, a better, like, picture of, of how, we, how we do things. It's not just, you know, yes, we have all this crazy gear and, and we use all of this stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you can put me in front of one of these things and it would be fine. Um, the, out, the outcome is, is that you're just being creative and, and working through your music and, and being happy doing so.
0: being happy doing so that's a great that's a great word for the end yeah working with your music and being happy doing so that's a great purpose
1: exactly i mean for me that's that's uh that's a very big part of it if i wasn't doing music i might be crazy (laughs) i don't know um i i certainly know that uh i i like doing that and when i've stopped to anytime i've had to stop doing it it's like oh god i can't wait to get back to that like there haven't been many times in my life when i've stopped that's for sure so yeah anyways um i think that's probably a good place to end that
0: amazing that's amazing all right that's a great that's a great way to end um Thank you so much Matt. Um it was also good to have Mark in the beginning of the interview that was really nice. Um
1: thanks for having us. It's
0: been a lovely chat. Um it um I have enjoyed every single bit of it and all the knowledge that you have transferred is just simply gold for me for the listeners for um whoever will um come in come in contact with this with this podcast. Um I hope they get out of it as much as I did.
1: Thanks, yeah. I'm, I'm very happy to talk to you as always.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much and have a good rest of the day. Same to you. Ciao. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I highly encourage you to check that Bandcamp at obsoletecomponent.bandcamp.com. You'll find the latest release, which is a compilation with friends from all over the world named Deconstruction Sessions. Next... They have a release planned for this year on Berg Audio and also something coming up on Grayscale. They're currently planning their next trip to Europe, so watch out for their live performances on the old continent. If you're interested in booking them for your party, you'll find a link to get in touch with them on the description on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thank you so much for listening again and see you soon.